The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Mentioning the name Amazon strikes fear in the hearts of business executives and company owners around the globe. But is it possible to make the 800-pound gorilla a part of your success strategy? To answer that question, John Giorso. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, man. So, uh, so you are operating in a uh, in a world where people are just running around terrified, uh, the Amazon effect, the whole thing, and and somehow you've got some kind of a mechanism that helps companies to leverage the beast instead of fearing the beast. Want to tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. So I own and operate a company called Orca Pacific. We're a full service agency with an exclusive focus on Amazon. So we've been around for about a decade. Uh, we have over 100 clients. We work primarily with consumer product brands in a myriad of different categories. And ultimately, we're set up to make sure these brands are maximizing their potential on the Amazon platform while minimizing any downside impact, things like channel management, margin protection, et cetera. So, you know, we fundamentally believe that you can play with Amazon, you can be on the platform, you can maximize the potential there without having to fundamentally give up uh, anything else as, as far as it relates to the rest of the channel. There, there are a lot of issues here and, and we'll go into hopefully a, a lot of stuff. Sure. So you help them manage their, their distribution, their, their channel. Do you help them get on and sell? What part of the process or, or all the parts, and could you just kind of tell us what those steps are, what the parts are? Yeah, for sure. So we break our business down into a couple kind of big uh, segments. So first one is front end. So by front end, uh, I mean anything that's generating demand, improving conversion rates. So advertising, marketing, merchandising, building out content, SEO, Pretty much anything and everything that's going to drive uh, product sales on the platform. Now, are we are we talking about 
selling things to Amazon or being a third-party seller? Both. How, how does it work? Both. So there's multiple ways to engage with the Amazon platform. And, and you know, I, I use this term platform, which probably gets overused in general, but Amazon is a retailer, but they're also a marketplace. Um, and that's why the term platform is, is, is kind of a better one. So, so to answer your question, both. So we work with them as a retailer, i.e. brand is selling product to Amazon. They warehouse it. They then sell it to their customers. We also work with them as a marketplace. So, so let's talk first about them as a retailer. Do they sure. function like Costco where they, they actually buy merchandise, they pay for merchandise, they warehouse the merchandise, they ship the merchandise and they take the risk of, of that merchandise and, and then they take ownership of it. So they have one channel that works like that, right? Yep. And that's referred to typically as first party or Amazon 1P, Vendor Central, all sort of synonymous terms. But yep, very similar to Target, Walmart, Costco, any other big retailer. So there are companies that just sell their wares and that's just one of the distribution channels that they have. They might sell to these companies, they might sell to Amazon. Yep. Um, when companies are selling that way, and they know that Amazon is, they're not always the lowest price, but they, they tend to have good pricing. How do they price or how do you recommend that they price to other retailers who are also moving their goods? Yeah. So the way that, that this works um, on the retail side of Amazon's businesses is they basically price follow. So they'll price match any quote unquote external competitor. So to them, that's any other e-commerce retailer, walmart.com, target.com, et cetera. They'll always price match. So Amazon isn't going to lead on price. They're not going to quote unquote discount, but they will always have a competitive retail. So there's a, a lot of things that can be done to sort of mitigate downside impact from a channel management perspective. It's frankly pretty complex. Most of the time, the easiest way to answer this, most of the time, by the time your product is on Amazon and being discounted, it's too late like most of the effort actually has to happen upstream and is more related to distribution strategy than it is necessarily managing what's specifically happening on the Amazon platform. Ex explain that a, a little more. In other words, when you say it's already too late, are you saying that Amazon would be a, like a secondary strategy for a distributor or a manufacturer? Or are you saying they might go there first? You know, what, how, how would a manufacturer think about incorporating Amazon into their selling strategy? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you have to look at Amazon as one of your most important retail channels, unless you're in a very niche category, a category where for some reason, Amazon isn't a big player for the vast majority of retail categories. Amazon should be one of your top three customers, if not number one, um, just based on where they fit in the marketplace. So then, then it's a matter of kind of how do you, uh, approach Amazon in a way that doesn't um, degrade the pricing integrity in the rest of the channel. There's a lot of different strategies. There's map policy, there's uh, differentiated products, derivatives, uh, anyway. But the manufacturer wholesaler doesn't get to tell Amazon what the price is. No, they don't. Right. But they do get to determine who has the product. Typically, when we see a really out of control channel issue with a brand, it usually has more to do with smaller regional retailers, distributors, other entities that are sort of muddying up the channel, not necessarily the other big retailers. You know, very rarely is Target or Walmart or Costco 
the big sort of linchpin problem in a channel management strategy. Usually it's, you know, Joe's appliance store that has three locations that sell in a bunch of your inventory out the back door on the internet. That's usually what's leading to significant price erosion um, in the channel. Not all the time, plenty of exceptions to that. But so that's when I say distribution strategy, a lot of it comes down to who are you willing to sell your product to and who are you not? I mean, a a best in class example of of a company who does this really well is Bose. I mean, you're never going to find Bose products discounted. The reason for that is Bose only sells to like 15 people not people, but entities, companies. Now they can get away with that because they have a great brand and IP and everything else. But, you know, it's something that it's, it's kind of a, a North star to, to look to. So do the companies that sell uh, on Amazon frequently also have a wholesale strategy? Is it common that they're selling wholesale uh, as well as retail? In other words, they'll sell in bulk to other companies beside retailers, you know, to end users through some other channel. Yeah, it really runs the gamut. I mean, um, there's a lot of uh, brands that operate what's called a hybrid strategy on Amazon, which is actually where you directly as the brand operate a third-party marketplace strategy as well as a first-party retail strategy simultaneously. And then you also have in the mix oftentimes a lot of other third-party sellers, folks like distributors, resellers, you know, other kind of intermediary uh, companies that will also be reselling the same product. So if you go to, you know, if you go to an average top selling item in a category, you'll see typically 50 to a hundred different offers for that same item from 50 to a hundred different entities selling that same product on a given detail page. When a product is labeled Amazon choice. Yep. What does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's tied to a specific search term. So if I search paper towels, um, there's going to be an Amazon's choice badge for the search term paper towels. It's algorithmic. It's not like a human sitting there deciding what they think the best paper towels are. And it's based essentially on a number of factors that Amazon picks out to try to back into what is going to lead to the best customer experience, as well as what is the best product for Amazon to be selling. So Uh, customer reviews, in-stock rate, um, price competitiveness, profitability for Amazon factors in. And keep in mind, I mean, there's millions of search terms searched every day. So while paper towels is probably an obvious one, there's also a separate Amazon's choice badge for uh, recycled paper towels and recycled paper towels four pack and 12 pack, et cetera. So for every search term, literally, there is a different Amazon's choice badge, and it's just it's it's an algorithm determining this. So it's not it's not like uh, this is our preferred vendor; we get better pricing. Uh, so it's not done that way. It, it's not. No, it just it wouldn't scale. It was very very like early in that program. What's interesting is that program was actually created uh, by the Alexa team because in a voice only communication scenario. On, if you type paper towels into Amazon, you can show someone 30 results, and that's an easy thing to navigate visually. You can't do that with voice only. It no, would be voice, you're, well, this is going to open up another part of our discussion. Sure. But you know, voice is going to be two, maybe three. That's it. Yep. And the, the whole strategy is totally different using voice than it is yeah. using. And that's why Amazon's choice was invented, so they could just say, Okay, no one wants to have us read a list of 10 paper towel options. They just need us to choose one and say, do you want this one? Yeah. And that's where it started. Tell us a little bit about um, the concept of channel uh, conflict. 
because there is a lot of conflict in, in some of this stuff. And I'd like to really kind of explore this a little bit if you're okay with it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, channel management, channel conflict was not invented by Amazon. It was around before Amazon, but essentially the internet and then Amazon fully leveraging the capability of the internet to sell products has created a dynamic where anything that happens anywhere will be immediately visible and essentially reflected nationwide. So, you know, it used to be 20 years ago, if uh, some regional retailer ran a discount, you'd only see that if you walked into that store. Um, Today, Amazon price matches everybody and everyone price matches Amazon. It's just a, you know, a, a web of interconnected price matching essentially constantly. So all it takes is kind of one weak link and then the whole market will essentially match each other. Um, so it's a tricky thing to, to manage and to frankly unwind if it's, uh, usually we say once for a given product, right? Once price erosion starts to happen, it's not impossible to, to correct that, but it's, it's pretty difficult. Um, because you get into a sort of chicken and the egg, who matched who first? If you know, if Walmart and Amazon and Newegg and Target are all matching each other, who's to say who's matching who at some point? That's just kind of the new price in the market. So you know, so I guess what uh, what comes to mind here is let's say, for example, even back to this Amazon Choice thing. Uh, I don't know what companies make paper towels. I don't buy a lot of paper towels, but uh, whoever X Y Z company makes paper towels. And sure. they pick one to be the Amazon choice. And then uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, they contact somebody and say, we want you to make Jeff Bezos paper towels. Yeah. So they use the brand to get the customers and then they swap out the brand for the Jeff Bezos. Uh, it's like Kirkland with Costco. You know, they, they oh, offer you both. Sure. But in a, in a world of voice where there's going to be one choice that's going to be put out there, yeah. Uh, if I was Jeff Bezos, I would say, I think you got to buy the Jeff Bezos brand. Sure. So they built it on the backs of everybody else, but then they're going to uh, sell something else. Do you see a lot of that or is that something that's going to be happening more? Yeah. So I see a lot more talk than I actually see this happening in reality. So Amazon has 80 plus different private label brands. They're taking private label very seriously. It's a big initiative for them. But just as a comparison point, Private label represents, I still think, less than 1% of their total product sales. At Costco, I think it's like 25, 30%. At Walmart, it's 20%. Target, it's at least that much. So, you know, it's, uh, you've, I've seen a lot of articles written about this in the Wall Street Journal and other places, but it's really still early days for Amazon private label. Um, I don't see it as fundamentally different than what most other retailers have been doing for 30 years. Uh, is it a competitor? Absolutely. Are they a strong competitor because they're, you know, fundamentally at an advantage because they're coming from inside the building? Yes, of course. Um, but I don't see that as significantly different than you're a national brand, you're selling at Costco, and there's going to be a Kirkland signature version of your product sitting right next to it for 30% less on the, on the same. Maybe, show. maybe made in the same factory, by the way. Yeah, probably made by you, actually, in, in, in most cases. I mean, by the brand, right? Are made by the national brand. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, you know, slap a different label on the package and, and there you go. 
Yeah. Um, you think the consumers are are better off? What, what's your perception? We'll talk about business here in a second, but sure. you think the consumers are better off? Are they being better served now than they were, say, 10 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately the Amazon effect has, with a few exceptions, led to a dramatically better customer experience with retail. It's faster. It's more convenient. It's cheaper. They have a bigger selection. I think that today, I just think of of myself, the way I kind of buy things I need uh, in my life. You know, I used to have to sit in my car and go to Target and then I'd go to Costco and then I'd go to Best Buy. And that was a solid chunk of of a day, probably on a Saturday that I would have rather been doing about a hundred other things. Now, you know, it's a few clicks throughout the week gets me what I need. And so, you know, for me, has that made my life better in some small way? Yeah, I think it has. And I think it yeah. has for a lot of folks. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. You know, if I need something at Home Depot, I need a couple cans of WD-40, but I don't feel like uh, driving there. Uh, they just show up the next day and it couldn't be easier. The yeah. other thing is that things that are unusual, that are not easy to find, yeah. you can find them in five seconds on Amazon. You can save them for next time. And, and then you just order them, they show up. So a lot of wasted time has come out of our schedules, which is just fantastic. Um, but the one thing that I heard you say earlier uh, is that Amazon is for things that are generally not niched. If they're not a niche type product, uh, then Amazon is going to just, you know, take control and it's going to work well. Is that, is that close? No, I, I guess I wouldn't say it that way. I, what I was saying is if for some reason you're a manufacturer, Manufacturer in a category that Amazon is not strong in, then maybe they're not, they shouldn't be a critical part of your strategy. But there's only a few of those categories left. I mean, maybe tires. I don't think Amazon does much in tires. They don't do much in white goods, you know, uh, washers, dryers, et cetera. But I mean, you have to really kind of dig deep to find a category that Amazon is not a dominant player in at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about niches. I mean, you know, if you're selling, uh, there are certain things, jewelry, for example, maybe you want to go examine the piece before you buy it uh, because it's hard to see in a picture. Yeah. I mean, is that a category that would do better in a retail store? So I've been doing this long enough where I've heard the statement category blank will never work online because people want to touch it. They want to feel it. They want to talk to the uh, salesperson at the store. They want to test it out. They want to try it on. They want to do whatever that verb that they need to do in physical space is. And so therefore that category will never work. I heard that about digital cameras. I heard it about uh, uh, office products. More recently, I've heard it about apparel and soft lines and home textiles. And every time it's proven to be I wouldn't say untrue because I think, yes, in a perfect world, you would be able to interact with that product, but is it worth the trade-off of sacrificing convenience, selection, price, all the things that Amazon's really good at to be able to pick that thing up in a physical space and look at it? Most of the time, no, it's not. And that also is looking through a lens of present day technology. I mean, you don't have to be take a radical leap to envision a future where, um, Augmented reality allows us to try on clothes uh, in our in our bedroom virtually, uh, you know, in a way that is not gimmicky, but actually really works. Because right now there's some of that, but it's quite gimmicky. Um, you know, that that allows you to 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 see what a sofa will look like in your living room before you buy it. I mean, these are things that 
will really like they're gimmicky now, but I think they'll really work in three to five years. So yeah, well, you can you can imagine that Amazon is well positioned uh, to adapt these kinds of technologies. In fact, I think they have some of these things that you can test. They do time to time. Yep, they do now, and that's why I say like this exists today. It's just the 1.0. It's a bit goofy, you know. Being honest, it's the yeah. experience is not. I wouldn't necessarily buy a sofa just because I. I wouldn't not measure the sofa in my living room just because I use the app to to display it in AR. Let's just put it that way. Like yeah. it's not it's not kind of at the end state yet. Yeah. Well, listen. Any any of us that have been around for twenty years and have watched the evolution of the internet. It's very much believable that things are going to be different in the future than they are now because we watched it change over the last 20 years, even maybe 25. Yep. And, and so it's very easy to understand that although we can't imagine necessarily what it is just yet, it will be different and it will be better because it keeps getting different and better. So, Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that being said, a lot of people have a tough time envisioning or understanding that the future will look radically different than the present. Even though we've all experienced radical change over the last 10 and 10, 20 years, to the point where today would look like science fiction 20 years ago in a lot of ways, I still think people have a tough time realizing that things are going to be dramatically different 10 years from now. But here's the thing, um, our clients, uh, you know, the clients of your agency, the audience is where I speak and do keynotes for boards of directors and people that I work with. Uh, these are not your typical consumers. These Fair. are people who Fair. do understand that the world is a moving target. Yep. They do understand uh, that there is technology advancement and that they have to stay on the, on the curve or they're going to get lost behind the curve. So these are people that really do get it and they yep. understand it. And that's what they come to guys like us for because our whole thing, profit from the inside, it's all about the inside track. And us giving them the best, fastest, smartest ways, the best intel that we can so that they can make decisions going forward. And that's that's what our, our whole purpose is here. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about international just for a minute, because uh, my understanding is, and this has recently been uh, you know discussed in the Wall Street Journal and, and other places, that many countries are trying to lock down their space to give their own uh, local companies a little bit of a head start so that they don't have to compete with uh, giants like Amazon and, and some of these other companies. Uh, how are you advising your companies that sell internationally about how to use Amazon? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that's basically what happened in China already with Alibaba, right? I mean, they were certainly favored by the, the local government and, um, and have done extremely well and then now are a global uh, force in, in e-commerce. Um, so that can work. You know, my advice would be don't really worry about what Amazon and Alibaba and Tencent and Walmart are doing internationally. Let them fight that battle and then go where the customers are. You know, pick your, if you're going to enter country X, you know, figure out where is the customer traffic? Where are the eyeballs? Where are people shopping physical and, you know, e-commerce and, and, prioritize that way. You know, don't necessarily try to predict the future in terms of is Amazon going to win or Alibaba going to win in Brazil? I don't know. Pick the winners when they're winners. Um, yeah. You know, listen, I'm not saying that we need to place a bet on who the winner is going to be, but if Amazon doesn't have a lot of traction in India, because mm -hmm. India has uh, been a very difficult place uh, for that to happen because they're trying to protect their own companies that are trying to evolve there. 
So what you're saying, you know, does your agency help companies get placed in India on those platforms and also in Alibaba in China and other places? No. So we're exclusively focused on Amazon and basically focused on North America and Europe right now. There's, you know, Amazon China, which is very small. Amazon India is actually doing pretty well. Um, and then there's Australia, uh, Japan, Korea, um, and Brazil in some small way. Uh, so anyway, um, we really focus right now on, on North America and Europe. Um, you know, I would say for, for global brands, I would establish a foothold even in those new regions where Amazon is really quite small um, because there is a true first mover advantage momentum factor on the platform. So even just, I mean, this doesn't mean, you know, go up in an office with, with 15 people in that country to serve the customer, but it means at least get the products up, get basic content up, make sure it's in stock, you know, do the fundamental pieces, which can be one person's kind of side gig if you do it really efficiently um, to, to at minimum establish that foothold, which you know, will serve you well three, four, five years down the road if and when Amazon becomes a serious player in that market. How does, how does a first mover advantage work on a platform like Amazon? In other words, it just seems like you're there and then somebody else comes along and now they're there. Yeah. What, what's, what's the advantage? What's the momentum factor? How, you know, what are you thinking? Sure. So there's uh, there's a flywheel effect that is literally coded into the way that the platform ranks products. So um, this is not some sort of amorphous, you know, uh, buzzy buzzword concept. It, it is an actual baked in functionality of the platform. So basically, the way this works, um, and there's a thousand different examples, but essentially, success uh, predicts future success on the platform. So the things that get a product to rank higher will then cause it to create more factors that then will get it to rank higher. So for example, um, you run a promotion, the product does well, it ticks up in search, then you get more reviews because you sold more product. Um, it gets put into a number of automated widgets on the platform that then surface it to more people. So more people go to the product, more people convert, more people write reviews, and it continually sort of will tick up in search. So, and it's all relative, right? If, if, a, if a category does a million dollars a year in sales and you do 700,000 of that, you're the top dog. If it does a billion in sales, you now along that path have to defend your number one position and you're going to be doing, you know, 700 million to use that same math versus coming in when it's a billion dollar category mm. and saying, okay, now we have to kind of beat our competitors who have a, a legitimate entrenched advantage because you can't just go in and get 5,000 reviews and, you know, the velocity and all the things you need to do. You can't do that overnight it's much easier to do it earlier than it is later because again, it's, it's relative to what the competition's doing. And typically when a category is small competition, isn't spending as much, they're not paying enough as much attention. They're not doing all the things that they'll be forced to do later on. So that first mover advantage really does, does factor in. Yeah, no, I, I get that. When you, when you talk about that momentum that you've got uh, accumulated sales and you've already got some points in their system, however they rank things. Yeah. Uh, and this really, and that is really the inside track. I mean, that really is something that is not well known uh, that listeners of this show uh, really can benefit from, which is which is awesome. Um, what about um, 
the algorithms? Do they change the algorithms at will, just like uh, Google does? And so you think you're going off the left. Next thing you know, you're going off to the right. Facebook is changing all the time. People are doing advertising strategies. They're trying really hard to make things work. Next thing you know, it's it's all different and the rules change. Is that is that happening? Yeah, it happens constantly. The um, the A9 team, so A9 is the the search engine that Amazon uses to, to rank products. Um, the A9 team uh, is uh, pretty much top secret uh, internally. No one knows outside of that team really, and maybe the leadership, how the algorithm actually works. I mean, we know the general factors that influence it, but in terms of very specific changes, um, uh, it's, it's a bit of a black box. There's hundreds and hundreds of different variables that factor into ranking and they're constantly tweaking it, AB testing it, changing it. I mean, literally every you know hour of every day. Um, there's two fundamental reasons why they're going to be constantly changing the algorithm. Uh, one is to do a better job of predicting uh, what a customer wants to see and doesn't want to see. I mean, that's ultimately the, the logic is built from this foundational idea of try to show the customer what's going to be most relevant to them. And then two, Amazon is constantly working to prevent gaming of that algorithm. So very similar to the way Google's uh, uh, looking at, at their algorithm. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, black hat tactics that can be employed on the platform, um, kind of hacky things that can be done. And so Amazon, you know, those are uh, uh, what Amazon would consider to be against kind of the best interests of the customer. Um, so preventing those things, trying to create a, a better customer experience at the uh, same time. Well, you know, going back to the uh, the thought about this, uh, the momentum, the, the first mover advantage, uh, you know, it... Um, it just seems to me that uh, what you're describing is the companies, the company that sells to Amazon has a lot to do with how successful they are, much more than I would have expected. Yes. So they can really help. Uh, and Amazon must incentivize those companies to help them by rewarding them with higher rankings. Because if they're getting uh, reviews from customers, if they're making sales, if they're doing whatever it takes to make that happen, they're rewarded with more volume uh, yeah. through the platform, I would imagine. Yeah, the burden of success is shifted much more to the supplier uh, on the Amazon platform versus a traditional retailer. So, you know, if you want to sell into Target, a lot of your success is going to be determined by does the buyer like your product? Do they think the customers will like your product? Do they, you know, are they partnering with you? How much risk have they taken on in inventory? All of these things. Where with Amazon, it's much more of an open platform. And that's a double-edged sword. It, it means that if you're aggressive and smart and you know take it really seriously, you don't have to wait for a gatekeeper to decide, yeah, we like your product or we don't. You can just go kind of drive your own success. But conversely, it also means that you're on your own in most cases. Like, you know, no one's going to hold your hand. Frankly, in most cases, no one's even going to answer your phone call. So it's really about, you know, what you are and, and aren't doing as the, as the brand. It's pretty extraordinary. Are there parallels with regular uh, old fashioned or traditional retail? Are there uh, stocking fees? Uh, do they have the, the concept of end caps and a lot of the other retail concepts where manufacturers and suppliers pay the retailer to do certain things? Does that, does that happen in Amazon too? Or t tell us how that might happen. It, it does. Yeah. So there are a number of program elements uh, at play. Those are 
mostly just kind of baked into the cost of doing business. I wouldn't say you really get anything for them, but then stacked on top of that, there are hundreds of different opportunities to fund merchandising programs. Most of them just being candid are not worth the price of entry. The biggest, most consistent, most effective driver of demand, if you want to spend money on the platform is advertising. So advertising you know, versus merchandising marketing. Um, there's a couple different properties that Amazon uses. One is search, one is display. They're programmatic. They have real data attributed. Um, it's a much more transparent, data-driven, scientific way to approach driving demand on the platform versus merchandising, which is more, you know, it's more the in-cap equivalent. Um, yeah. okay, we're going to put some pictures on the site that costs X amount and we have no idea what it is or isn't going to do. Um, and we don't really get much data. It really, the, uh, the concept of the Amazon choice, that's that answer you gave us surprised me because mm-hmm. I sort of thought that was a pay for play kind of arrangement. Yeah. And it sounds like it's really not. Um, it's not there. You know, Amazon is, is there's a lot of paid, placements. I mean, there's advertising, which should always be pretty transparent in terms of a sponsored tag, just like a Google AdWords result would be. Um, and then there's a lot of merchandising, which is, you know, kind of much fuzzier from the consumer perspective in terms of whether that's a brand paying for it or whether that's Amazon sort of editorializing and saying, Hey, we, you know, we like this sofa versus well, the sofa brand paid us 50 grand to put a picture of our sofa here anyway. Um, and then there's truly organic, elements of the platform, the truly organic elements of the platform, it's either one or the other. They don't, things like relevancy ranking, things like Amazon's choice. When Amazon decides that a program needs to be organic, it is totally hands-off. There's no way to manipulate it. I don't care if you write them a million dollar check, it's not going to happen. So I guess, uh, you know, the good news from a, in some ways from a supplier and from a customer perspective is, is there is a very clear line in the sand between those that are paid and, and not. So it's it just, this is, it's an amazing company. It is really, it's an amazing thing. I mean, they've, they've revolutionized retail in, in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's much more than just low prices. We see low prices, we yeah. see convenience, we don't have to drive around in our cars and, uh, you know, and, and, and that we see, but it really behind the scenes has really changed the way that uh, suppliers and distributors interface with retailers. It's just changed everything. So let's talk for a few minutes about uh, Alexa. Yeah. How is Alexa going to really catch on and start moving product? Because that must be the long-term plan. I mean, at the end of the day, their, their goal is for it to be another option for input, but voice is different than, than typing. Sure. Yeah. So I actually think Amazon's long-term plan is to be the new Windows. I mean, I I think their long-term plan with Alexa is to be the default operating system for the default mode of personal computing in the future. I mean, it's unbelievably ambitious what they're doing. I think the move uh, from, you know, desktop to mobile devices to do a lot of personal computing will be less impactful than the move to voice computing. I mean, again, this is, I hesitate a little bit because I know that's a kind of an out there statement, but that's my personal opinion based on what I've seen going on. So with that in mind, obviously commerce is going to be a huge part of that, but I think it actually goes far beyond commerce. I think it, it affects 
the way we do a lot of things in our day-to-day lives. So there's a couple things that need to happen before this works, really in terms of like the, you know, the future vision of this. So first of all, um, you need to have ubiquity with the platform. So right now, the way most people engage with the Alexa platform is a single device. Maybe they have one or two of them in their house and that device lives in your kitchen. And when you're in your kitchen, you can speak to Alexa. So for this really to work the way they want it to long-term, it needs to be everywhere. On your person, in your car, all over your house, in your office. You can look at the devices they've come out with and there's a pretty clear trend towards wearable devices in car. I mean, they're they're well on their way. They don't have the adoption yet, but they've at least come out with the technology. Well, it seems like now that they've got the technology working and it's working better and better all the time, you know, they can install it in your car. They can install it in your phone. They can, they can install it in your scanner. They, I mean, they could, they could put it everywhere if they want yeah. to, they could put it in your oven, yep, in your microwave, sure. you know, they put it in your refrigerator. Yeah. They put it every, there's no reason why it can't be everywhere. Yeah. It should just live with you all the time, essentially. And that's and that's the goal. This is a personal assistant that's, you know, virtual personal assistant that's just with you constantly throughout your day. So the second thing is the AI needs to get better. Um, you know, right now it's still a clunky sort of two-way, you know, question and answer interface. They made a lot of improvements in the last three years, but they have a long way to go. Um, they need to get it to a point where it is much more intuitive and genuinely conversational. I think it's... That's just a matter of, of when, not if, based on the, the, you know, the rate at which they're progressing, kind of the underlying AI. Third thing, and I think this one's really interesting, specifically related to commerce, uh, are screens. So right now, most people are in a uh, voice-only environment when they talk to the platform because they're talking to a speaker. Um, but if you look at the devices that Amazon has rolled out more recently, a lot of them now have screens. And that really fundamentally changes the way that you can actually shop for a product because now you can say, uh, you know, if you say right now to a speaker, Alexa, buy a toaster, that's a very difficult thing to do. Am I setting off your device? You know, I'm just, I'm just uh, double checking that, that I don't get a toaster tomorrow. <laughs> yes, if you're going to. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I mean, is it four slices? Is it two slices? Is it Chrome? What's the price point? I mean, that's a really tough thing to do through voice only. If you have a screen, however, it'll just show you the top five options, which it'll do right now. And then you can just say, you know, yeah, number three looks good. Buy that one. If I don't like it, I'll return it. Um, so screens, I think really open up a much more viable way of, of really shopping on the platform. And I think frankly, without a screen, it's going to be limited from a commerce potential because it's, it's fine for repurchasing consumable product. You know, you've bought the same paper towels for 10 years. You bought them every month. You, you know, you know what you want. You just, I need more that can be done right now through voice only, but really anything beyond that is, is, is going to be tricky without a screen. Well, that's, I guess it's the difference between shopping and ordering. Yeah. You know, ordering, uh, it does very good at ordering. In fact, one of the great concerns that I have about using this device, by the way, is that I think our manners, human beings manners, because we all talk to this little machine, like it's a little dog, Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. you know, turn off Spotify, turn on Spotify, do this. Do we just bark out commands? And I hope we don't start talking to each other that way because it really is kind of degrading our, our civilization in a certain way. If we start talking to each other, the way we talk to these machines. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, I, it'd be interesting to see, interesting to see if like people get desensitized to that type of communication. I could also see the opposite happening where 
th- right now there's there's sort of multiple stories about uh, Amazon building in emotion, both uh, Alexa's ability to perceive emotion in the human communicating with the technology, as well as present emotion back um, in the tonality. Because that's obviously, you know, when we communicate verbally, it's not just about the words we say. There's so many other things going on that up until very recently, AI has had a real tough time with. Um, But, you know, the emotional elements, as Alexa becomes more human, What'll be interesting to see is do people actually start treating the software more like another human being? Maybe, maybe what we need to do is suggest that the uh, developers require the words please and thank you. Yeah. And then, and then and then adults will kind of go back to how we were and children will learn some good manners. So yeah. hey, listen, man, this this has been really a great interview. Uh, this really has been the inside track on a lot of voice technology. Uh, dealing with Amazon and a lot of these type of uh, retail concerns that so many of our our mutual clients and and you know the kinds of people we work with have, and and I really appreciate you being on the show. You know, just because our whole goal is to help people profit from the inside, and and I think you've delivered uh, spectacularly. So thank you very much. Great, yeah, happy to be on. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.